Latino Stories, Historias Latinas, es un podcast que nace del proyecto de narrativas orales de Latinos en Ohio, Oral Narratives of Latinos en Ohio, con entrevistas en español, inglés, and Spanglish. Welcome to Latino Stories. I'm Elena Fowles. My guest today is Dr. Sonia Giron. Dr. Giron is the daughter of Salvadoran immigrants, was a first-generation student, and originally from a suburb outside of Washington, D.C. She is a postdoctoral scholar in the Department of Human Sciences here at The Ohio State University. Her work focuses on understanding the role of Latina, Latino, Latinx family processes and functioning on adolescent social-emotional well-being. Bienvenida a este episodio, Sonia. Thank you for having me. Sonia, tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell me about your neighborhood in D.C. So my neighborhood in D.C., I, I grew up in a, one of the suburbs outside of Washington, D.C., in Montgomery County, Maryland, and... It was, I loved growing up there. It was mostly a lot of immigrant families, um, people of color, especially lots of other Salvadoreños mm -hmm. and um, Salvadoran families and children, um, low income, working class, and, but very vibrant. Um, lots of, like, all the neighbors know each other, kind of, we're kind of on top of each other, like, mm -hmm. kind of close quarters but very just like felt like family and home everywhere you went and mm -hmm. yeah I loved I love that area <laughs> where the schools where you went to um, uh, also diverse did you did you grow up or uh, did you go to school with many other immigrant families or immigrant students or Salvadoran yeah yeah all of my schools throughout from pre-k to 12th grade were all very diverse um, maybe probably equal like 25 percent of every type of um, demographic back background you could think of and I think that was part of what made it so great growing up there is I felt I didn't stick out I didn't mm -hmm. I didn't I didn't feel out of place it was mm -hmm. nice to, to be in schools with other students and teachers that looked like me right. other Latinos other Salvadoran families also other lower low-income families mm -hmm. um, and working-class backgrounds. Mm -hmm. Did you grow up uh, speaking both English and Spanish? Yes, yes, we did. My family was actually funny because my parents would mostly speak to us in Spanish and we would, rep would reply in English. Mm -hmm. And so we, I, I understand Spanish better than I can speak it. Um, but yeah, we spoke both mm -hmm. growing up. Mm -hmm. Great. <laughs> Uh, Sonia, can you talk to us about your journey in higher education? Did you always think you, you know, were going to college and then now, you know, all the way through a Ph.D. program? Tell us about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, it was a, a whole journey. Um, I didn't always intend to pursue um, a Ph.D. program or a Ph.D. degree or um, go further than college, but um Education was always emphasized within my family, and I loved to learn. I loved science, um, and so actually, I guess my education, higher education, kind of started with taking AP Psychology in high school. Mm -hmm. So that's where I first kind of learned about psychology, what it was, what it involved, what it can teach us about ourselves and other people in terms of understanding like the human mind and behavior. Um, 
and then I went straight into straight into college right after high school. Mm-hmm. I definitely struggled struggled mm-hmm. in in undergrad to decide like what to do with my life, what to pursue, what to study. Um, I had enjoyed psychology in high school, but I didn't think about what where that could go because I mm-hmm. didn't really want to be a psychologist or anything. Um, like actual doing therapy with people. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it took me a little while. I ended up taking five years to graduate undergrad because mm-hmm. it took me so long to decide what to do. Um, but eventually I landed on psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I kind of got involved with that more in depth um, through one of my courses, one of the intro courses. And we had a like grad student come and tell us, tell us about research and engaging in research and how they were looking for people to help. And I thought, this sounded like a good opportunity. So I joined their lab. And then from there is where my interest in research mm-hmm. and psychology really grew. And so that's when I decided to like to declare psychology as my major. And then I also had declared family science kind of as a backup major, ended up being a double major in that, and then also a human development minor. Mm-hmm. So I was getting all kinds of angles in terms of psychology and human behavior. And right. and then I think it was mostly through talking to other grad students in that lab that I learned about going to, going to grad school, what a PhD entailed, what you could do with a PhD, um, and so then that's when I applied to, to grad school. Mm-hmm. Um, I took two years off after undergrad and before starting my PhD program in order to get more research experience, get more life experience, take mm-hmm. a break from studying and work and all that and just kind of live my life for a little bit. And then that really helped me to get more like work experience and, mm-hmm. and experience in a new lab, um, doing different types of research, gaining new skills. Um, mm-hmm. And then, yeah, and then I eventually um, went into my PhD program in developmental psychology, um, and <clears throat> um, yeah, and then and then that was a whole journey in and of itself too. <laughs> um, it was lots of ups and downs, um, but like I, I still loved learning everything that I was learning. Mm-hmm. I was um, such a privilege and honor to be there, have been accepted, and like. And be able to be one of the few who gets this extra training, um, and so yeah, that's great. Great. Mm. Did you feel like you were supported uh, throughout this, especially in grad school? Did you feel like, you know, you had mentors that um, sort of helped you a little bit, you know, and making sure that you were doing okay and that you finished your program? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. So. Um, it was good coming in with a whole cohort of other students, mm-hmm. like starting the program with a whole cohort, cohort of other students, like support each other, um, especially through like the intro statistics courses. You kind of mm-hmm. um, turn to each other for help with all that stuff. Um, and then in my program, you're also matched with like an advisor who is your like your main mentor and kind of supervisor that leads you through the different milestones of the program um you work with them in their lab and she was super helpful very supportive Mm -hmm. um and especially for me i kind of had to delve outside of my department to kind of take other courses that really more so aligned with my interests over time and she was always very supportive of that um and and the city i went to was very um did not have was not very diverse, and so there weren't many other Latinos. Mm-hmm. Um, not many, not many other Latinos in my program, um, and so that was difficult to navigate in terms of having like 
a place that feels like home mm-hmm. and having that kind of support was a little bit lacking for me. So if I could do it over again, I would try extra hard to find the, the, that kind of support that outside mm-hmm. the university. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, yeah, like it was a good experience with my friends and, and the faculty. That's great. Mm-hmm. Um, Sonia, what inspired you to focus your work on Latinx youth? Yeah, I think the one of the inspirations, um, there's a few things that come to mind for that. Um, firstly, lately, a lot of what I do, I um, think about kind of like little Sonia, little Sonita, mm-hmm. myself as a teenager, and mm-hmm. kind of what I needed back then, what could have maybe been better, been different, um, what kinds of supports I might have needed. Um, and I kind of think about her and her journey and kind of, Um, what she went through. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also in taking all my psychology courses, I noticed how my experiences were not reflected in those courses in Mm -hmm. in terms of what was in the textbooks, in terms of examples um, or different research findings that we would talk about. I would notice like that's very different from my family. Mm -hmm. Um, Being Latina and being an immigrant family and being such a big family. I have five other siblings. Mm -hmm. So it's like our (laughs) dynamics are very special. Um, But yeah, so that that made me further that made me that made me want to focus on Latinx youth even more was because Mm -hmm. that literature was lacking Mm -hmm. and that work was really lacking. Um, I think I think like what really wanted me to kind of do work that helped support other Latino Latino Latinx youth um, was I guess growing up in my area. Um, there was once when I was coming home from work or something and like walking, got off the bus and was walking through an apartment complex near my parents' house. And I happened to walk by the scene where there was like maybe a 10 or 11 year old boy wearing Spider-Man pajamas, but he was being handcuffed and put it into the back of a police car. Mm. And I remember noticing that and just thinking like, what's happening? Like being curious right off the bat, but then noticing his spider-man pajamas in the Mm -hmm. evening like and he was so small and young i I just wondered like what could be happening that he's in this situation now Mm -hmm. you know and i and i i thought like what could be happening at home what could be happening at school but then i also thought about like the larger society that Mm -hmm. i had been living in and Mm -hmm. had grown up in like there's lots of other issues going on like in the neighborhoods and at a societal level that made me think like all these things are affecting this child and putting him in this situation now. So that kind of stuck with me Mm -hmm. like through college and thinking about like one, like wanting to prevent that from happening Mm -hmm. to other families or other youth and, and just really wanting to learn more about children's mental processes and adolescents thinking and behaviors and what they're really experiencing and really wanting to understand that in order to then be able to help and give back and, and maybe prevent youth becoming involved in in the justice system or Mm -hmm. um, in Mm -hmm. other situations that don't benefit them. Um, So that was a major moment that kind of stuck with me. Um, And actually then there there was also a a movie called Sin Nombre Mm -hmm. um, and about like some adolescents in in Central America. I can't remember the specific country, um, but it kind of talks about their story of becoming involved with the gang life and then having to make the trek to the United States Mm -hmm. and growing up I knew how that was a very real like 
thing that lots of people are experiencing in mm-hmm. real life. It wasn't just a movie. Um, but it really hit me and, again, made me think, like, what can I do? What is, like, what is really going through adolescents' minds and, and bodies and experiences that's leading them to make certain choices? And what can I learn in order to pre- potentially prevent mm-hmm. that type of life? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, all stemmed from really wanting better for like my peers mm-hmm. back in the day and in youth now. So what did your research focus on? Yeah, so right now, um, in general, it focuses on Latinx families and their um, processes within the family. So communication within the family, interactions, um, different types of relationship quality. Um, how that kind of interacts or is related to different cultural factors um, that are specific to being Latino. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, in turn, how that impacts adolescents' um, well-being, so their social-emotional development, how they're interacting with their friends, um, how they feel, what their emotional experiences are. and so specifically, one of the things I've been looking at lately is, is disclosure. So like the voluntary disclosing or, or discussing and telling other people um, of information about yourself. Mm-hmm. And so, and looking at disclosure um, in, in young adults, more specifically right now, um, and how that is, depends on the relationship quality with their parents, um, also relationship quality with their siblings mm-hmm. um, and how much they um, align with the idea of having of family respect values um, and how much that really in, uh, impacts their relationship quality and interactions and then in turn how much they choose to discuss and, and tell and talk to um, family members about about their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, so very specific right now. When you talk about disclosure um, to family members and friends, uh, do you also look at whether um, the, there is maybe more participation of young adults um, into, you know, going to therapists and like what the process of that is? So if, if, if maybe they're more comfortable, you know, in that scenario than, than their families because of reasons that we might not think of it, like cultural issues, right? Um, so I don't know if you've looked at that and if you can talk to us a little bit about it. Um, so I haven't specifically looked at anything related to, like, what they're talking therapy or, or who, what they're dis- um, disclosing to other people outside the family, but you're, you're very right in terms of um, – who the teenager or young adult would feel comfortable discussing certain things about because of maybe specific family um, dynamics, um, um, specific family interactions that maybe just don't make the teenager feel comfortable Mm -hmm. discussing certain things with family members. Yeah. Um, Like what we choose to tell other people is very sensitive information sometimes. So sometimes they would maybe feel more comfortable talking to a therapist mm-hmm. about certain issues for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think talking to a therapist is definitely better than t- talking to no one and, have, mm-hmm. and, and, not, and not discussing certain things that happen um, in life to anyone. Um, it's better to talk to someone about it. Mm-hmm. So in the work that you've done and the things that you've looked at in your research, is there any key takeaways 
for caring for our youth, especially in the last year with so many, uh, you know, we've experienced, we've all experienced so, so much um, disruption due to the pandemic and social concerns such as racism and police violence. How does the information that you have, the research that you've done, help us maybe better care for our youth at this moment? I think for both girls and boys, an important thing right now to consider is is um, being very open and honest with feelings and emotions and and um, validating their feelings and emotions right now. Like there's definitely a lot going on mm-hmm. for for all of us, but teenagers, this is a time like a, a time frame when they're kind of coming into learning who they are, getting a sense of self. Um, establishing their autonomy and independence um, and feeling lots of different things, right? Because changes in hormones and all. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's important to let them have those feelings, you know, let them be scared or angry or sad or happy um, and and honor those emotions, validate their feelings. Mm -hmm. Um, I know, at least for me growing up, it'd be like, stop crying (laughs) or you know don't feel sad don't Mm -hmm. you know don't be mad don't express those feelings because maybe it makes other people uncomfortable Mm -hmm. or they don't understand where those feelings are coming from um but and so it's understandable that parents would want to kind of stop those emotions but but it's important to actually process the feelings Mm -hmm. um kind of discuss them or just put them out out there for people to hear and be like, yeah, that that's understandable that you feel like that. It's understandable you have that emotion, um, and maybe related to that, beco- becoming more intentional with understanding our emotions. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's difficult when you feel something so suddenly in reaction, in response, or reaction to something that's happening. Um, it's kind of difficult to understand those emotions and what's really coming up or what you're really thinking. Um, but the more you practice kind of noticing those things come up, mm-hmm. the more it'll it'll be easier to do, and then the easier it is to get the support and kind of have those conversations with people that you trust um, mm-hmm. to actually move through that and kind of learn from whatever's going on. Um, yeah, I think for both boys and girls, it's important to um, let them have their emotions and, and honor that and validate their feelings right. and things that come up. So when you're working with, I mean, youth, you're really also work, you're working with the whole family, right? Because there's a lot of education around how to care for them. So not only empowering the, the youth, right, to sort of own their emotions or express themselves or like disclose, you know, when needed or uh, build in trust, but also parents or, or adults in their lives, um, you know, making sure that they understand you know, how to best care for those emotions or those, you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah, those issues that come up with their with their teens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yes, it definitely is a whole family system. Um, and so I agree. Um, it's, it's the parents that maybe also have to work on being intentional with understanding their emotions, um, which I know is difficult, like, with so much other things so many other things going on mm-hmm. um but yeah like it's it definitely is important for um, parents to understand these things too and mm-hmm. in order to best support their their adolescents mm-hmm. mm-hmm. great 
Um, what are your future areas of research or what, what initiatives or plans do you have for the, you know, next few years? <laughs> yeah, um, I have so many plans and ideas for things that I want to do, um, but kind of in the shorter term, um, I really want to start focusing on how, like how I kind of mentioned earlier, like societal is issues and kind of larger scale systems of oppression and privilege that are maybe impacting family dynamics, mm -hmm. which then will impact the adolescence development and their well-being. For future work, I'm looking at systems of oppression and privilege, so maybe different types of economic systems um, or um, cellular colonialism and how that kind of affects family functioning, family dynamics, and then in turn adolescent development. Um, but also looking at things like kind of how outside of school activities also can um, impact family dynamics um, and adolescent development. And more specifically, I'm also hoping to look more or focus more on siblings and how siblings can be a support mm -hmm. for adolescents and how that sibling dynamic really impacts adolescents' emotions and socialization. Mm -hmm. And, but maybe how we can leverage sibling support in adolescence to actually yield more positive outcomes mm -hmm. for adolescence. Mm -hmm. Great. Sonia, uh, is there anything else you would like to add uh, about your work now or, um, you know, your work here in, in Columbus? Is there any other initiatives or, or plans you have as you are becoming part of Ohio. <laughs> mm -hmm. I definitely want to get more involved with the community organizations. I think Proyecto Mariposas is one organization that I was recently learning about like through you and, mm -hmm. and through other community members. And yeah, just I really want to get out there and like meet other uh, all the like different organizations mm -hmm. and that are helping Latinos in Ohio and especially adolescents. Mm -hmm. And yeah. Mm -hmm. Great. Sonia, uh, gracias por esta conversación. Ya, yeah, de nada. A todos, gracias por escucharnos y recuerden seguirnos en Facebook y de compartir este podcast con otros. Hasta la próxima. Sí.